Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Hey, Seattle. Hello, Puget Sound, and welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, event sommelier, your weekend wine guy, and your Commodore of cocktails. Hey, thanks for spending Saturday night right here on 570 KVI. If you ever miss a show, check out our website. It's really easy. It's happyhourradio.net. You can uh, listen to all the shows, share them on social media, or check us out on Facebook at Happy Hour Radio or Twitter. Does anyone still tweet? Oh, I know someone who still tweets. I haven't got to follow him yet, but uh, if you're into that, Happy HR Radio is our Twitter handle. And today I'm really excited about the show, uh, this late afternoon or early evening. Uh, I've got uh, Martin Beely, who is the advanced sommelier and the wine director for Wild Ginger. We're going to be talking about uh, some really cool wines out of Spain from the region of Carinina. And it's all about uh, Garnacha and more, but uh, he's the pro. He'll tell me about it, and we're going to taste. And also, we've got the James Beard Award dinner coming up on October 13th. It's over at the Fairmont Hotel. It's going to be super fun, super sexy, because uh, we got one of the chefs here that has been on our show before, Maximilian Petty. He's the uh, owner, restaurant tour for Eden Hill up on the top of Queen Anne. And if you haven't been there, you must. Uh, and be sure you get there early, because it's only got about 20-some seats, as I recall, but the food is fantastic. Also, Brian Beakey is here. He's part of the PR the PR Power Ranger team uh, from Varsity Communications. So let's get to it. Gentlemen, welcome to Happy Hour. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, the enthusiasm is just you have to restrain <laughs> it there, Max. Um, well, let's talk about James Beard. James Beard, we, we hear that name a lot in the culinary and world of food, wine, and even journalism. Uh, so, Brian, why don't you give us a little summary of who this cat was? Sure, I'll run through it, and Max, feel free to jump in if you uh, have any details you want to add. But uh, he was born in Portland. Uh, actually has some, some Northwest roots and uh, grew up there and developed his culinary interests first in the Northwest and eventually, uh, ap- after he turned 18, headed off to New York City and uh, started, yeah, exactly, and, and started 18. his, yeah, and started kind of a culinary empire out there, um, working both working as a chef and also kind of became the first real chef personality. So the first chef to kind of go on the TV shows, on the radio shows, and really make cooking something that people were excited about and wanted to learn more about. Um, He actually discovered Julia Child and brought her onto his show and introduced her to the world and started her off on her odyssey, and she obviously became uh, sort of the pinnacle of that whole TV chef personality empire, and then went on to found the James Beard Foundation, uh, which now pumps money back into (laughs) culinary education and training chefs and lifting people up uh, to become sort of the next James Beard or the next Julia Child. Wow. Max, what can you add? You know, between the two of them, Julia Child and him, he, they, they were mostly personalities eventually, and they became, because he was probably, I don't know if he was one of the first, like, openly gay chefs in, uh, in, on the TV spot. And uh, between the two of them, they were very passionate and very, they kind of brought that excitement to to the home. And that, you know, once he started the foundation, it created kind of this thing for chefs to, to thrive for. And so it makes us work harder and it gives us kind of a, our, our steps, our goals up from, you know, me, I'm still going for the under 30 
um, <laughs> awards, but then there's another level of you know best chef and and best restaurant tour, and it just kind of keeps going, and it kind of gives us a bar rather than you know our 18 hour days of of you know just making sure we get through the day. It's, now it gives us something more to work for, and it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> self inspired. Yeah. Um, and you've been uh, nominated twice already. Twice. In your short culinary career here in Seattle, is that correct? Yeah, we moved, we opened just two years ago. We've been nominated twice for the Rising Star. Yeah, so that's we'll, hot. Yeah, I got one more year left, and we'll we'll see what we what we can do. Is that that uh, third decade's not? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, all right. Well, the, this big event it's uh, very exciting. Um, there's some history to this event, and Brian, can you share some of the history of the James Beard Awards dinner here in the Northwest? Sure. Uh, as you guys were talking about, obviously the James Beard Awards are the big awards in the food industry. We think of them as the Oscars of the food world. I don't think that's an understatement to not say. Not the that. Oscar Myers, though. Right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although he might have won one. Who knows. <laughs> Uh, no, but the, you know, it's, it's winning a James Beard Award is, I think, the equivalent for a chef of winning an Oscar is for an actor in terms of what it can do for their career. So about uh, five years ago, four years ago, uh, they started this event called Taste America, and they picked ten cities in the United States that they feel like represent the best of culinary expertise in America, the best food, the most exciting chefs, and they host a dinner in those cities. And it starts with a reception featuring uh, five or six of the top chefs uh, from throughout the area. Usually it's up-and-comers, uh, mostly chefs that have not yet won James Beard Awards. We and that's a regional thing, so some people from Portland could be coming up to the Seattle area? They could. In fact, in this case, it's all Seattle chefs. Okay. Um, so uh, there are some cities, though, where yeah, they might bring it. Rule. Exactly. We have, plenty in, we have plenty here. They don't need to get outside the Seattle <laughs> area to find sure. a great chef here. So, uh, And then after the reception, where you have bites from each of those Amazing chefs, including Maximilian, uh, who's here today, obviously. Um, Rachel Yang uh, will be cooking there. Holly Smith, who's a James Beard Award winner, uh, and several others will be cooking there at, at the reception. Uh, then you go in and you have a sit-down dinner with a four-course meal that's prepared by a local star chef. Uh, this year, that's Matt Dillon of Sitka and Spruce. And then we have a James Beard Award winning all-star chef, which is Ashley Christensen from Pools Diner in Raleigh, North Carolina. She's a big deal out there on the East Coast, and is bringing her brand over here for us to try out uh, as part of this dinner. And then Paul Shuchuk uh, is the host chef at the Fairmont Olympic, which is where the event will be taking place. Uh, he'll be preparing a course, and Brooke Ellsworth of Canlis will be preparing the dessert course. Uh, yeah. So Great. It's going to be an amazing dinner. That's an all-star dinner. And, for sure. And people can attend this. This is open to the public, right, not just the trade or culinary? Absolutely. Yep. Tickets uh, start about $275. Um, that gets you into both the reception and uh, to the dinner. There's VIP tickets available as well, where you get to sit at your table with a local VIP. Um, usually it's a chef or a local celebrity, uh, that pe names that people will definitely recognize. Um, and then you get to meet and greet with the chefs as well. We'll come over and, and meet you after each course and talk to you about the dish, and you can ask them questions. And uh, there's a silent auction. There's a live auction. So it's a lot of fun. Excellent. And... Um, I understand that uh, James Beard uh, discovered Julia Child uh, and started the foundation. So the foundation generates uh, resources for these quote-unquote scholarships or, or tuition or further education. And is it solely through these 10 dinners, or do they have a greater reach of uh, events and opportunities? No, they raise money throughout the year in all different kinds of events. Um, but as you mentioned, these dinners do raise money for the foundation, so all of the money that that is spent on tickets or anything, all of that does go right back into the programming for young chefs and up-and-coming chefs as well. Well, for all those listening, where would someone find information about uh, how to be involved or volunteer or donate or perhaps get on that scholarship track? Sure. Uh, the website is www.jamesbeard.org, 
And if you're looking specifically for the Taste America Seattle event, then you would enter that URL and then backslash taste hyphen America hyphen Seattle. <laughs> Making America tasty again. I like it. That's the idea. Well, Max, you've been uh, nominated twice, and congratulations on that. Tell me what that process was like for you. What would you expect? I mean, did you know beforehand, or was it, hey, surprise? <laughs> um, you know, you don't know. You have no idea. You kind of wake up the morning when they release the list, and both times I didn't really believe it. I get text messages before I, you know, before I even look at my phone to see the list. I kind of look at the list to find my friends from Austin, Texas, to kind of see, you know, who made it. And then all of a sudden you see your own name and it's just, you know, it's very surreal. It's kind of, it's just, it's weird. What month is that when you would be notified? Um, February, usually. So this, this year it's going to be on Valentine's Day. So I probably won't even be conscious. You know, we'll be come off of a a huge dinner service and I'm not even going to pay attention to it. I'm going to sleep all day, I'm sure. Um, But just being, you know, nominated, just being on that first initial list, especially for a national category, there's 28 of us or so is is huge yeah that's totally huge especially to be a newcomer or not a newcomer but right a brand new restaurant in seattle you just celebrated your second anniversary and to be nominated two years consecutively is is fantastic it's it's uh, such a pleasure tell me about eden hill quickly you've got uh just dinner service correct yeah so eden hill we do dinner uh six nights a week um 18 seats in the dining room eight at the bar we don't usually reserve the bar as much um, but we do kind of an advanced tasty menu, and now it's up to, I think it's $115 per person. You start with a scented tattoo that pairs with your tasting menu, depending <laughs> on what you choose, and it's 10 courses and a lot of fun, and then you can also do all the cart, which is you just share, and it's, and it kind of brings people together. You just you just share food. Tell me and, about this this uh, scented tattoo. Where did you find this? Were you watching some show and that was the the cool thing, or did you have kids and said, "Look what I got"? Well, I do have a kid, but he we don't put tattoos on him. He, uh, my wife found it, and she thought it was really cool. It was this company in New York called Tatley, and we've purchased so many tattoos from them that they're going to make us a custom one with our with our Eden Hill on it. So it's like free advertising because. It's scented. We do beautiful. We do thyme and rosemary, uh-huh. and then the guest gets to choose. And then sometimes it'll choose like which amuse bouches they get and what minardies and and all that. So it's kind of a choose your own adventure. Um, but then it stays on them for a couple of days. And so when people ask, like, "Hey, why do you have a tattoo?" and they said, "Oh, Eden Hill," and so it just you know keeps our yeah, busy. it's a talking point. Now yeah. it's not scratch and sniff though. You don't have to like scratch the no. tattoo. <laughs> we've, we've put it in some weird spots, so I hope not. Guests will will get some weird requests. <laughs> Got a couple. Uh, Do you just get one, or can you take a couple? <laughs> <laughs> They're expensive, so we have to. We you limited to one. Yeah, expensive. But people huh? have bought them before. Like all the cart people will that don't do the tasting, they'll ask for it, and so they'll have to pay well, ten dollars to. Just right. to put it on their neck or something weird. And do you like actually make the sound of the the pen or? The yeah, yeah. <laughs> it takes it takes four hours. It's just like a real. <laughs> and it only feels like a bee sting, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I remember yeah. that from my uh, crazy days in my youth. So, Brian, um, you said we have f- six chefs for the reception. We have five chefs five at chefs? the reception this All year. All right. Yep. And then we have four dinner chefs. And tickets are still available for this event. They, is it only a re- is it a reception? Do you have a reception only ticket, or is it reception dinner and then VIP? Yep, one sit on somebody's lap. That's, and- that's, the, that's the idea. <laughs> I don't know about that one. We'll have to see. Uh, no, it's one ticket for, uh, gets you into the whole thing. So, and like I say, it's it's a cool opportunity. It's kind of a once in a lifetime chance to taste bites from so many different James Beard award winning chefs. I mean, as we were talking about, Max and I were talking about just before we even came up here. He said just the chance for him to cook alongside so many chefs. Like, it's, it's a rare experience for him 
and it's exciting. So there aren't very many opportunities like this that come through town, so it's pretty neat. Especially when you have uh, an opportunity. What day is October 13th? October 13th is a Friday night. Friday night. So, Max, you're going to be... <laughs> now, you bring some of your crew over there as well, or do you uh, have uh, some... Uh, some minions that are uh, sort of uh, are roadies with this road show. You know, sadly, with our, for Friday night, uh, you know, I, we have a team just small enough to where I can only go. So I'll probably bring on some some randoms that that <laughs> <laughs> have wanted to work with me, or or you know, usually like my sister, uh, who's she's been dying to work with you. Yeah, well, she's she's in the industry, so she she always likes to be a part of those. No, um, absolutely, it's so, an all star team. Yeah. And what time does this event start? Uh, the reception begins at 6.30, and the dinner begins at 8. Okay. And how many people do you anticipate, or what's the sold-out number? There are th- uh, three hundred, just over 300 seats. Uh, we're actually down to about two tables left to sell. Oh, wow. Um, so we're almost completely sold out. Uh, in the event that the event does sell out before someone has the chance to buy a ticket, uh, there are actually a free cooking demonstration at Sir La Table in Kirkland on the following day on Saturday with Matt Dillon and Rachel Yang. And those are actually free to get into. So uh, if someone is worried, I'd really, it sounds exciting, but I don't have $275 right now, but man, I'd love the chance to meet some of these chefs and get up close. Uh, they can go to the same website uh, that I mentioned earlier, and they can find out more information about these tasting demos. Registration opens Friday. This coming for uh sorry, registration opened yesterday actually. It was yesterday. Wow. Uh registration opened yesterday and uh will fill up really quickly. So, uh people want to check that out and get a chance to sit right in front of Matt Dillon and Rachel Yang while they cook for you and taste their bites. Pretty exciting. That's awesome. So Renee Erickson, Matt Dillon, uh Rachel Yang, Maximilian Petty. Renee is Renee's not there this year. She oh. was there actually. She was there, you know, kind of a, a cool story. She was there in 2014 and like Maximilian at the time had been nominated, had never won an award. Um, and it was kind of an event that helped springboard her, I think. And uh, she ended up winning her first James Beard Award uh, the following year. So I think that's the hope for folks like Maximilian, who will be there, uh, as well so. as some of the other non-winning <laughs> chefs that the James Beard Foundation really sees what they're capable of at this event. This is and exciting. Well, I hope to make it myself. JamesBeard.org uh, backslash taste hyphen America hyphen Seattle. You got it. And actually, uh, I was at Canlis my tasting group, and they have a James Beard Award, and it is super cool. You feel like an Olympian. Well, congratulations, Maximilian. And Brian, thanks for uh, sharing this whole James Beard Taste of America dinner coming up on October 13th here at the Fairmont Hotel, and it's jamesbeard.org. Hey, folks, stick around. I've got uh, Martin Beely from Wild Ginger. We're going to talk some Spanish wines uh, right here on Happy Hour Radio. Big names, big news. Sean Hannity, weekdays 3 to 6 p.m., Talk Radio 570, KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle Sommelier, Christopher Chan. Hey, Seattle, hope you're having a great Saturday night. It's time for round two, and I've got uh, actually three glasses of wine in front of me. And one cool cat, his name is Martin Beely. He is the, uh, an event sommelier. He is over at the wine director at Wild Ginger in Seattle. And we're going to be talking about um, a region in Spain. So, Martin Beely, welcome to Happy Hour. Thanks, Chris. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you haven't been to Wild Ginger, they may not know who you are, but uh, you are one of our top talents, and uh, you've uh, uh, certainly helped mentor many of, of our sommeliers. Um, give me some history about who you are, where you're from, and where you've worked here in Seattle. 
Uh, well, it seems like anybody who was young and, and learning about restaurants back in the early aughts, I read Kitchen Confidential and, by Anthony Bourdain and decided that I wanted to become a cook. It was my live stream. And so I had it in my head. I was going to go to Australia, learn how to cook at Cordon Bleu, do some surfing on some sandy beaches. And in the end, I realized that was pretty expensive. So <laughs> I took the hit, uh, studied some when I was living in Houston, and then decided to move out to Seattle and become a cook. I ended up working at a uh, really cool place called uh, the Library Bistro and Bookstore Bar uh, down at the Alexis Hotel and uh, started learning my chops there. Wow. My my first job was at the Alexis Hotel. Oh, awesome. Many years prior to that, but uh, that's where I learned my four-star, five-star hospitality. I mean, that's started a great place, and you carry that on to everywhere you go. That's true. Um, I know that, that's, so that explains why I saw your, your email when we, when we were good friends here, and so we communicate, and I was always wondering what that chef email was, and now I understand. So um, you were born in Houston? My father's retired Air Force. We uh, wandered around all over the place, but Houston is where uh, they ended up. And then, you know, I moved out here because, honestly, I was coming out here, visiting friends, and seeing all the sunny weather in summer, and uh, thought that it was just a great place to come. Sun's humidity, too. <laughs> that <laughs> exactly. was the thing. I had a good time in Houston. I had a uh, college uh, a childhood friend who moved out there, and I was really blown away. It was in the woodlands when they actually had trees there. This was like in the late 80s. <laughs> That's <laughs> when I was there. So um, you were in the chefs. You started at uh, the library uh, bistro at the Alexis Hotel, and you said, I want to do wine, to do more. How, what's the story? I wanted to stop burning myself. Being uh, Working in a kitchen is a very hot and difficult place. It's it's something where you know I, I admire Max for staying with it as much as he does because it's something that uh, unless your heart is really in it, it's hard to stay with it. And so I decided I wanted to move into the front of the house, be a little closer to the guest. And uh, when I was there, I realized very quickly that if you were waiting tables, uh, you needed to learn about wine in order to be able to talk to your guests. And so I had moved into Tulio, which is one of Seattle's historic restaurants uh, down at Fifth and Spring and you know does Northwestern food, uh, an Italian food with a Northwestern twist. And I absolutely loved it there. Learning Italian wine uh, became one of my passions. Lucky. And uh, I then didn't really start getting passionate about it until uh, my mentor, who was the master sommelier of Kimpton at the time, Emily Wines, actually bamboozled me into taking the uh, Court of Master Sommelier's entrance exam. So if you're familiar with the movie Somme, this is basically the first level exam that you have to take. And a lot of people spend a lot of time studying, but she actually tricked me. She sent me an email on a Friday saying, hey, I've got this class on Monday. <laughs> Do you want to take it? And I was like, sure, that sounds great. And I get there, and it's actually the exam. So I passed, thankfully, and yeah. it kind of started me on this road. Um, so What year was that? That was in 2000 and, uh, 2011. All right. Wow, that, that is very recent. And I, I remember meeting Emily, and uh, I knew that she um, was a Seattle Seattle gal, and then she went down to California, and I, she's still with Kimpton. I think she moved on. Or... She's moved on. She yeah. was at Skipstone, and now she is at a restaurant group in Chicago that does um, a very interesting direct winery slash restaurant uh, model. Oh, well, that's great. And it seems uh, there's so many opportunities with this this whole internet thing going on. Um, so 2011, you've got your introductory, then you got your first, uh, in, the little red pin, which mm -hmm. we were also proud of because there weren't a lot of those here in Seattle. And um, you followed the path. Were you still at Tulio this time? You, uh, you're not Wild Ginger, but how long were you at Tulio? Uh, I was at Tulio for about six years. 
I had an opportunity to go work with another one of our friends, James Lechner, uh, at the WeMac Group, so Bastille Restaurant and Stoneburner Restaurant. I actually had the opportunity to help open Stoneburner. And I really enjoyed that experience, getting to teach the, the staff about wine there and uh, working with Jason Stoneburner. It's a fantastic, very heartfelt cuisine with some of the freshest vegetables you can find in town. It's a, it was a fantastic experience. That's awesome. I remember uh, playing hoops with James Wyman <laughs> for a lot of years when I was young, actually. <laughs> um, so uh, you took the advanced course in 13, was it? I did. And you I did. passed? I passed, and... Uh, it was one of those experiences where, wow, I, okay, I, I am actually doing this kind of as a career now. I need to start thinking about where to go. And uh, I had heard through the grapevine that one of our compatriots, Courtney Lease, who was then wine director at um, at Wild Ginger, had an opportunity to to be there. Now, unfortunately, she was in France at the time, so I was desperately trying to track her down and get involved with that wine program. And finally, when she came back, we had an interview and. I was in, and so pretty soon I was wearing a suit on the floor and, and selling wine from one of the best wine lists in the entire world. Absolutely, and I know that the the history goes before that. Ole Thompson uh, guided that list uh, along with uh, Rick, the owner, and um, they received the Grand Award, Spectator Award, right? And that was the second here in the Northwest, I believe, because it was Canlis and then Wild Ginger. Uh, and then Courtney came on, and, and you got to, to learn not only about Italian wines at Tulio, but so many German and Austrian wines I think you have on your list there at Wild Ginger now. Yes, we have a, one of the most extensive uh, wine lists for Austrian uh, Riesling, Austrian Grüner and German Riesling in the country. I think about the only place that would rival us on the West Coast would be Spago, where our friend Philip Dunn works. But it's a place where it's been so much fun to, to jump in and really kind of learn exactly how these wines work with food. And a lot of difficult pairings that you would have with uh, certain wines actually work really well with these German Rieslings. Uh, our, you mean certain foods, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. The cuisine, the Asian cuisine, they've got a lot of umami. Um, they, they use acid and they use sweetness and garlic and all those flavors. And you like, where do I go? But, like you say. German Riesling works fantastically. It was something that our owners, Rick and Ann Yoder, when they were traveling in uh, in Asia back in the 80s, they learned to love the cuisine there. And when they came back, they wanted to have a space where you could have a really good, uh, authentically cooked Southeast Asian meal in a nice environment. And wine was an integral experience for them. So they were really, really concerned about making sure they had one of the best stocks of German Riesling in the entire country. I remember visiting the original uh, Wild Ginger on Western and, and, and enjoying copious amounts of good food. And uh, they took a huge leap, which was very successful because with the uh, the symphony and the, the... What's the symphony there? Benaroy Hall. Benaroy Hall, yeah. And so that's a huge... How many seats do you have in Wild Ginger downtown? We can seat 450 people <laughs> at one time if we had to. And to put that in perspective, your neighborhood restaurant can probably only seat maybe 60 people at a time. So you've got uh, seven neighborhood restaurants all wrapped into one. How big's the crew? How's the, how many staff on the floor do you have? Uh, on the floor, we will have approximately, on a really busy night, uh, 50 front-of-the-house employees, so managers, servers, bussers. I have myself and two sommeliers that we work with on nights like that. Right on. So we're here today to talk about um, a region in Spain. Uh, tell me where we're going to go. Uh, we're going to be going to Carignana. So this is a region in Aragon. If you're in Madrid, in central Spain, it's going to be about an hour and a half north-northeast. 
And it's in this river valley called the Ebro Valley. It's a beautiful, almost desert-like area, and it's backed by the Pyrenees Mountains, which separates Spain from France. And it is high altitude uh, and almost dusty in character. The sun beats down on you. It's hot, but it's absolutely gorgeous and breathtaking when you're there. I know Spain is a quite a large country. Um, what would be the significance, uh, similarity here? Is that a King County region, or is that a sort of a Vashon Island thing? Or uh, This would be, uh, uh, Carignana would be about, uh, if you go out to Yakima Valley, it'd be about that size, and kind of like, I think that'd be kind of a close analog to to Carignana. So it is, it's an old river valley, mm-hmm. or and it still is a river valley, I guess. So you've got uh, um, altitude on both sides of, of the river, just like you do in Germany? You do. You have altitudes. Typically, the vines there will grow from around 600 to 850 meters. And um, if you're talking to a winemaker or a sommelier, they love to find wines with altitude because it provides you with uh, a great uh, cooling effect at night, which allows you to preserve acid. And as a wine guy, you want acid. It helps you pair uh, wines with food. It also then allows you to develop a lot of really ripe, rich fruit flavors during the day. So you get this nice kind of yin and yang of big, bold fruit, which everybody loves, but a lot of acid to help kind of balance it out and help pair with the food. And the grapes in that region are primarily? You're primarily uh, Garnacha, although the, na- the name of the region is actually named after uh, Carignana, so Carignan. Uh, and this is a grape that you see all around in Spain and in the southwestern coast of uh, France. Um, but unfortunately, it's a little difficult to cultivate, and it's it's kind of hard as far as like acid and bitter and it's really difficult to actually kind of grow mechanically so people have decided that garnacha is actually a little more friendly and a little easier to drink uh, okay this is great you gave a be- beautifully detailed summary of our, our region that we're going to taste we have three wines that we're going to jump into and i'll share those when we come back uh, from our break and uh, remember folks we got happyhourradio.net you can find all the shows and, and learn a lot we talk about wine food beer cider chefs events and education all around the world so stick around we'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio. He's back and he's in charge. Kirby Wilbur, live and local weekdays, 9 to noon. Talk Radio 570, KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Time for another round of Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. Hey, Seattle, welcome back. It's time for round three, and I've got three glasses of wine right before me. How lucky am I? Hope you uh, are having a good time. It's this fall. It's a little chilly out, but uh, you had to love all the sun we had last week. And um, I got some sunshine in the glass because I know Spain is a very warm and hot place. Um, but Martin Beely, the uh, wine director for Wild Ginger, just talked about the region of Carignana and uh, the grapes that we're going to try. Actually, we're going to taste a lot of Grenache or Garnacha, as they call it there. Uh, so, Martin, what's the first wine we have? So the first wine is a rosé uh, from a cooperative called Panitza. Um, this cooperative founded in 1953, and it's named after the city that it's in. It's a uh, rosé, uh, or a rosado as they would call it, and basically what that means is that they macerated the skin of the Grenache before they pressed it off, and then they fermented it in a stainless steel tanks. So the stainless steel tanks are going to add a bright and crispness to it, and uh, it's going to be really, really lovely. Uh- 
I love rosé, and you know I made some rosé, and I'm surprised how how vibrant this particular Grenache is or Carnacha. I know that in Washington we grow many different varieties. Our Grenache is a little different when it comes to rosé, a little fatter, but this has um, a little bit of tautness, and uh, but the fruit is is nice and ripe and just. It's not. There's nothing wrong with that wine. That's really refreshing. It's absolutely delicious. I get a little bit of uh, like balsamic strawberry on it, along with just a little bit of kind of cotton candy in the background, and then just a, a hint of, of of cedar and and spice. It's it's a rosé that I could actually sit on the porch and drink. I call these porch pounders because <laughs> you, you're in trouble by the time you finish the first bottle because you're already looking for the second. Exactly, and that's the that's a sign of a great wine, uh, regardless of where you are. Um, so. Basically, uh, this is a cooperative, meaning they have a lot of growers who who uh, put their grapes into this one facility, and they produce wines. Does this cooperative produce just this label, or do they have several other labels that they they produce? And the name again is uh, Bodega Spinitza. Um, they have a number of different um, of wine labels, and uh, they they basically have a category for each segment of the wine market but this is the kind of their everyday drinking label and it's one of the ones that when I was visiting Carignana I actually preferred the most. Well, I like it it's screw top and the label is quite simple it's uh, reminds me a little bit of graffiti like someone's tagged the bottle and the vintage is 2015 um, where do you think we could find this here who might have this uh, Whole Foods or um, Metropolitan Market um, but is there a, a website on that wine? Uh, there is a website on here, but it's in Spanish. It's but it's in Spanish, unfortunately. <laughs> um, if you Google Panitza, Panitza, P A N I Z A, you'll be able to find it. Yeah, that sounds like um, uh, something Panera would make. Uh, it's a panitza. It's <laughs> pizza. Panitza. That's what it is. Um, it's delicious rosé, and it's one hundred percent Garnacha or Grenache. Um, alcohol is probably what thirteen seven. It's it's got a little bit of heat to it when I'm really sensitive to that and I like that. So uh really tasty. Um and by the way the um denomination uh uh what's the DO uh contacted us to talk about these wines and it's really fun to have an international um region reach out to a little happy hour radio and say, Hey, can you help us out? And um I would drink your stuff and we'll talk about it. So wine number two is uh, this is from uh, a producer called Bodega San Valero. It's named after the patron saint of Aragon who lived there in the 3rd century. And uh, it's their Particular, an old vine Grenache, um, 2014 vintage. Uh, this is a red wine, and it has basically... Uh, what makes it red is they leave the skins in the grape juice for 30 days in order to allow the color to extract out of the skins. It's like a blueberry. If you peel the blueberry, you know, it's just mm -hmm. clear on the inside, but on the outside, that's where all the color is. So you have to do that to make a red wine. And this is aged for a minimum of six months in oak barrels, and it gives it kind of a nice uh, woody and uh, a pleasant cedar kind of baking spice, chocolate, cacao mm -hmm. nib. Wow, this is... Um it, this is a very alluring wine. It uh, has a lot of fragrance. There's fruit. There's uh, other. <laughs> Some flowers. Um, look at the cedar. and oh, It smells really tasty. Now, I'm going to take a sip. And typically, I think, as we've gone through our, our personal wine journey, we've tasted wines from Spain, and, and um, some haven't been that great, but more recently, uh, they've been much more polished and much uh, 
better structured and better put together. Why is that? What happened in Spain that wines got better? Uh, Spain had a lot of trouble historically uh, with wine. Um, if you think about what America introduced to Europe back in the late 1800s, it's a <laughs> grape disease called phylloxera, and it basically killed off most of the vines in Europe, and they had to learn how to replant. Well, after that, you had the First World War, Great Depression, you had the uh, Spanish Civil War, oh, yeah. and then the Second World War. And then under Generalissimo Franco, basically, Spain really turned inward. They created more cooperatives and eventually had what was called the Spanish Miracle, where they actually modernized a lot of Spain. And that happened in the 60s and 70s. You started people bringing in new technologies like stainless steel fermentation and whatnot. And they were producing absolutely fantastic quality wines and learning from their experiences. Nowadays, Spain provides some of the best values for wine in the entire world. I agree. And just tasting this, this this has a lot going for it. Um, first of all, it's it's mildly plushed. It has some ripeness to it, good ripeness. And it's really well built. It's got um, moderate plus acidity, just moderate tannin, I think. Um, um, but it, it's flavorful, and it has a long finish, medium plus finish. Uh, it's it's delicious in the mouth, and it you can still taste it. And I think that's a sign. If it tastes good after you drink it uh, 30 seconds later, that's a really good wine. That's how I know. That's how I feel. And um, particular, is this a winery, or is it uh, the um, the label for this particular winery? Uh, particular is the label for uh, Bodega San Valero. Mm. Cork finish, too. 2014. Is there much variation in vintage when it comes to this particular region? You can have a fair amount of vintage variation for, uh, depending on how hot it was and if they received a particular amount of rainfall. But it's uh, also a region that, because it generally tends to be warm and it's a little sheltered, you generally tend to have a, a very ripe uh, finish to the season. And so it's relatively more consistent than other regions. What would this wine cost here in the U.S.? Your guess? My guess it would be somewhere in the ten to fifteen dollar range. Oh my! Very affordable. That is a screaming deal because it's delicious. It would it would impress most uh, wine know it all kinds, right? Your friends who think they they know what it is because you could pour this. What is this? And you know, thank God we don't have this on the exam because sometimes it's those yummy wines. You're like, I really don't want to think about it that much because it's really tasty. Uh, Particular, it's from Bodega. Bodega San Valero. San Valero. It's 2014 vintage. 100% Granacha, right? 100%. Okay. Um, our final wine, I love it. It's got 90 points on the top and from Stephen Tanzer. Tell me about this wine. Uh, this is from a winery called Grand Vinos e Venedos. So Grand Vines and Winemakers. And this is a called Corona de Aragon. Uh, so it's named after the fact that it's the crown of Aragon. Used to be Aragon was actually its own country in Spain. And so the the crown was actually located there. And it comes from 100% Carnacha, 45 years of minimum age of the vines in this wine. Uh, as wine winos, wine geeks, we love to have old vines. You generally tend to get a lot more concentration and richness and power. And this spends a minimum of four months in oak. And But it's it's absolutely expressive and very well integrated. It truly is. There's lots of ripe fruit. In fact, there's a little more colors of fruit in this particular wine going from uh, red to dark red and just touches of like the mauve or, or a little bit of that purple stuff. But uh, soft, it's a little grippier than the second wine. It has a little more tannin, but the tannin and fruit certainly are balanced. Um, and of course, it's got that hallmark of signature acidity. It does. And I find the fruit fruit flavor here is a little more baked 
a little more mm-hmm. a little more ripe and uh, and and powerful. Uh, this is a wine that I would prefer to have with like a nice stewed meat dish kind of coming into fall here in Seattle. This would be an absolute fantastic pairing. Yeah, that darn fall is coming. <laughs> Although the leaves were still green when I saw them uh, this week. So uh, really tasty. We've got, tell us about the three wines again, what the names are. So the first was a Rosé Panizza. It's their Garnacha Rosé 2015. Uh, Bodega San Valero Particular Garnacha 2014. And the Grand Vinos e Venedos Corona de Aragon. Uh, ni- 2014 Old Vine Grenache. Wow. I like it. So you actually visited the region. Um, was it last year? Yes, I did. Spent a week there, and you actually picked up some of that. Uh, you got the, Maybe that was at Houston time that he learns to roll those R's and things like that. Quite possibly. Quite possibly. It was, a, it was a fun trip, and one of the most interesting things I think you get out of going on a trip like that is understanding the fact that we have a saying with sommeliers, what grows together goes together. And so being able to have, for example, the Tarosco lamb that is made there is absolutely incredible with these wines because the spiciness and gaminess of the lamb, it has almost like this lavender characteristic to it, goes fantastically with these wines. You'll have things like anchovies, croquettes, and of course, this famous Spanish jamón. It's incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. Oh, I love it. Three wines from Carignana, the region in Spain, and Martin Bealey, Advanced Sommelier and Wine Director for Wild Ginger. We'll be right back. Stick around, folks, right here on Happy Hour Radio. Start your day the right way. John Carlson, live and local, 6 to 10 a.m. Talk Radio 570, KVI. You're in the know with KVI Want to Know Weekends. Here's more Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. Hey, Seattle, Puget Sound. It's time for uh, our fourth and final segment. So I'm going to wrap it up here with Martin Bealey, the wine director at Wild Ginger. Um, Martin, uh, you're an advanced sommelier. I'm an advanced sommelier. We know that we put in a lot of time. We've had some uh, triumphs and some some uh, resets, it seems. Um, for your advice for people who want to get in the wine biz and perhaps be on the floor, where would you start Start them? Uh, I would start just by, by reading and, and tasting. Your local wine shop is going to have a lot of tastings to offer. Get on their calendar. Go. Drink as much as you can. Now, of course, if you're actually tasting professionally, (laughs) you need to spit, too, because sometimes you're not going to make it through that entire tasting. But if you are learning about wine in organic fashion from the fact of where you love it, you'll, you'll soak it up that much more quickly. I agree. And you have to have a passion for it. And so if you you don't have the passion because you haven't tasted enough of wine and you have to appreciate the world of wine, you have to understand what a city is. Everything's not going to have tons of great vanilla and toasty oak and and be plush and and California style, if I would. Um, But it's it's important to understand the regions. And more importantly, when we think about those grapes, why do those grapes grow there? And you mentioned Carignina was uh, was born on the, the Carignan grape, but they figured out Garnacha worked better there. And when you think about Germany, um, Germany was a cool place for, for many, many centuries. It's getting warmer like everything else is. And so Riesling was a, a hardy variety that could stand some of those uh, cold temperatures. And I don't know how they harvest those things anyway, and that's crazy. It's crazy. When you have slopes going up to, you know, 45 degrees, where you're basically having to walk up there like a mountaineer trying to harvest the grapes, you'll actually see sometimes they have these, like, little monorails that they have to jump into, and they're powered by, like, a go-kart. So you can imagine, like, an underslung go-kart monorail. It's absolutely crazy what you have to do. But, I mean, 
people do crazy things for 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 wine because it's something that they absolutely love. And we're lucky to have a bunch of wine shops that have um, that are veterans and pioneers of our industry, if you will. I know that Champion Cellars rebirthed it up in Greenwood, but of course we have Ravenna, McCarthy and Shearing, and Jay's down there, and Dan's up here in Queen Anne, and of course Esquin. Um, any other wine shops that you like or to uh, to attend and, and check out because it's different? I live down near the market, so I go to Pike and Western yeah, all the time. They have a absolutely fantastic selection there. I'm always going in there going, wow, this is really cool. I wish I had this on my list. And that's kind of crazy thinking that I have a list that has 2,000 <laughs> selections on it, but go figure. You know, as a sommelier, you're always looking at something and going, I want that. I want that. I know. Well, when it comes to um, serving, pairing wine with, with uh, do you have red wines on your list? You must. We have a ton of red wines. Red wine still dominates our list more than you would have white wines. Yes. Red, and, Bur- Red Burgundy is a particular specialty of ours. Okay, and so that's something that pairs well with the, the Asian cuisine, or do you have another go-to grape or region? Uh, Pinot Noir does especially well, so Red Burgundy and local Willamette Valley Pinot, and also Chateauneuf de Pop. We actually do have a, a dinner with McCarthy and Shearing coming up. Um, they are going to be doing a uh, dinner with Santa Duke. Um, and so that is going to be uh, happening on the 19th at Wild Ginger. Domain Santa Duke, known for Chateau uh, de Pop, mm-hmm. but they have some other expressions of wine. I mean, how many wines will be serving at the dinner? Uh, we'll be serving about five wines at the dinner that evening. Excellent. So there are, and they're all from the Santa Duke, Domain, uh, Domain Santa Duke? Yes, they are. Um, well, have you been to Chateau de Pop? I have not. Oh, my goodness. I was just there and I was blown away. And uh, the Bulbonis, the rocks. I mean, there's not just like a few. They're just, and they're all about dinosaur eggs <laughs> size. And they they just go on and on and on. You go, how does it grow there? But it does. And of course, those rocks provide heat and, and sustain warmth. So that when the nights get cooler, they're, they're still maturing. And um, it also helps with drainage and uh, phylloxera, I believe. Maybe <laughs> no phylloxera there. So how would someone get a ticket for the October 19th uh, Santa Duke McCarthy and Shearing Dinner at Wild Ginger? You'll just need to call in to Wild Ginger. You can find our... Uh, phone number on our website, or if you go to Google it anywhere, uh, wildginger.net. Wildginger.net. Very good. And um, what are some of your, give me one white wine that you would invite our listeners to come and try when they go there, in case you're uh, not on the floor that night. One of my personal favorites right now, we have a Sauvignon Blanc from uh, northeastern Italy called uh, Venica e Venica. It's the Ronco delle Mele. literally means hill of apples, and it's absolutely beautiful. It has a certain richness, a textural uh, beauty to it, but it also provides an amazing punch in your face, Sauvignon Blanc. It's great. <laughs> and what might you pair with that if someone wants to, to do the, the yin and the yang? I would say go with the papaya salad with that. It would be a mm, great choice. I like it. And a red? And a red. Uh, one of my personal favorites right now is actually from one of our friends, a local winemaker, uh, Jeff Lindsay Thorson, WT Vintners, his uh, Destiny Ridge Gorgeous um, Syrah 2014 is one of my favorites right now. Awesome. Horse Seven Hills. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martin Bealy, Advanced Sommelier and Wine Director for Wild Ginger. Thanks so much for sharing uh, the wines of Carinina and, of course, some of your favorites. Great. Thank you very much, Chris. Hey, folks. Uh, it is harvest time. Um, the grapes are coming in. So if you have a chance, get out to Woodenville uh, and go watch. Uh, maybe get stung by a hornet. Feel like you're really part of it. Otherwise, um, be sure to tune in every week. i uh, got some great guests coming up next week. And, of course, remember, when you're out and about, life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers!